Welcome to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance FM 104.4. This is a different show because, like most, we don't focus on all those new shiny, shiny things you should buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community repair events here in London, called Restart Parties, are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter from the Restart Project, and today I'm co-hosting for the first time our show with my co-founder, uh, Ugo Valauri. Finally. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be sitting here. And uh, Dave Pickering, our podcaster storyteller, is celebrating his birthday today, and he's not in the studio with us, so happy birthday, Dave. Um, it'll just be Ugo and I, and in this episode, we're going to have a chat about some Recent repairs, um, actually the one, some that happened last night in Kentish Town at our restart party. Um, we're going to talk about two things actually that probably happened to a lot of people, and um, yeah, you'll probably you'll relate to them in some way or another. And then we're going to talk about some of the latest tech news, but obviously always through our lens, our restart lens. Um, we're interested in the things we already have and a better relationship with electronics. So um, let's just launch right in. What I remember, actually, was the, I think it was the first person that walked in to this event that we wanted to talk about, right? Uber? Quite ahead of time, 20 yes. minutes before we actually were ready to start. <laughs> okay, and tell us about what he, what he needed to repair. So Raphael came to the event bringing a laptop and saying that he had spent three months living in Kenya and at the end of that period the laptop stopped working. So because he told us that story, we immediately thought that something must have happened with the lack of power surge protector, something that could have tripped uh, the electricity supply to his laptop. And actually we were simply wrong. Um, and that's why actually taking apart a machine or figuring out via troubleshooting at times is very essential to really fully understand what happened. Okay, so his his laptop wasn't fully booting. It was stuck like in a in a really initial boot screen. What tell us how you figured out what was happening? Well, we figured that because it was actually booting up, at least in part, and it was able to switch on, and so there was something else that was wrong. And normally when you do get the screen to light up and you hear some noises, clearly the machine and the fan is running, clearly the machine is operating to an extent. But the fact that it couldn't load the operating system meant there was some problem related to the hard drive of the machine. So we loaded it, David, our... Uh, expert uh, with operating systems loaded a version of Linux uh, through the DVD drive. It's an okay. old enough laptop that still has DVD drive that makes it easier to boot a different operating okay. system. And for those who aren't really techie, Linux is an um, open operating system um, that's not Windows and it's not a Mac OS X. Correct. And <coughs> so by doing that, he was able to start up the machine 100% fine, being able to connect to the internet and everything. But most importantly, was able to mount, so to be able to see and access the original hard drive. So something must have happened um, that made it impossible for that computer to load 
the operating system properly, but this person was lucky enough that actually didn't lose any data because by loading this alternative operating system, we were able to log in and figure out that once backed up, that computer could simply be reloaded with the original operating system and was good to go. Wow. And so, and Raphael, I think he did comment that he was just pretty much ready to get rid of that machine. Yes, that machine was worth around £700, although being two years old or something. And he did say that he was about to buy a wow. new one. So that was one of those cases where your own lack of knowledge about how to troubleshoot something might lead you to the conclusion that something is at its end of its usable life. Yeah, no, laptops can be really tricky like that. I think sometimes um, it seems like it, it. you're sure that it's one thing and, um, and you're a little bit misled and then it's actually something entirely different. Um, we've seen some really crazy, um, yeah, examples of laptops. Like even I remember one where there was a <clears throat> there was a key that was somehow being pressed down, um, and you wouldn't know it. And anyway, just little things like you just might not know. So it's it's actually quite good at our events that you can call in the help of other people too. I mean, not just one volunteer, but sometimes another volunteer will come and help and help people get around these. And I saw that a couple of people helped on that repair. So that's yeah, really absolutely. Good. Actually, pulling resources together mean that. The first diagnosis might actually be confirmed or completely denied by a second yeah. effort, and together we. Fight. Another thing that struck me about the, uh, Raphael's case that's very emblematic is like, had he taken that to a professional repairer, um, you know, obviously an ethical um, repairer that comes well recommended and someone um, you can trust, obviously they're going to do a great job with that machine and they could probably maybe even do it quicker than we had. But if he had just taken it to someone he might not know or. You know, there's a bit of a risk there because, especially because I think he arrives saying, "I think my laptop may be dead," or "I think it I'm doesn't about to switch on." There you go. So I think he's in, he's almost in a vulnerable position going to just any old, um, uh, you know, paid repair. Yeah, in a sense, he's building already a narrative that actually could lead to the repairer being in a very good position to say, "Yeah, it's not worth doing anything with this," or charging potentially an astronomical amount to do what essentially is copying the data yeah, of an external hard drive. Data recovery, I mean, probably a lot of you listening have been in that position where, you know, data recovery, in some way, it has almost no price. So you're in a really vulnerable position if you're, if you're kind of saying, well, I need my data, I've pretty much given up. And while we're at this, actually, just a quick reminder mm -hmm. to everyone listening right now, please do run your yeah. backups yeah. often and regularly. Because if something goes wrong with your hard drive and you have your data backed up, you'll be fine and you'll find a solution, whether it involves a new hard drive without having to spend hundreds of go. pounds on very, very difficult data recovery. Right. And the, the second one that um, that we want to talk about is um, was mine. Um, actually, it's the, it was my uh, power adapter for this. I, I Confession, I use a MacBook Air, <laughs> which is not necessarily the most repairable machine. But, <laughs> it's um, not the worst either. Not the worst either. And I've put Apple to the test with this one. But one thing um, that really frustrated me is the Apple, you know, the, the charger, the Mac adapter, the charger. It's classic. Ask anyone, ask any friend. They always fail in the same place. Um, it's where the um, the cable that leads to your uh, laptop uh, meets the very beautiful sealed white assembly of the, of the charger. Supply. And um, you've, you see it time and time and time again. Um, you know, rumor has it that the genius will repair it if you turn up and you ask nicely. Well, I just I wanted to fix it. I wanted to try um, to see how difficult it was. And 
Uh, we've had some practice at these. We've seen loads. quite a lot, and yeah. actually, David again actually perfected the technique to take them apart, which mm. is not entirely conventional. Yeah, you basically have to prise it open with some pliers applied to either side of it, and you know, it, whenever you hear plastic cracking in that way, it's a little bit um, unnerving. Um, and in part, it's done for good reasons because actually, yeah. these types of repair can be, be extremely complex, and they're not for everyone. For sure. So um, we and we so we got in there and then we realized that we might actually need some advice from the um, from the hive mind of the Internet. So we went on good old iFixit, which is a website that aims to be the repair manual for everything. And we found um, a really good tutorial with some good images. And basically, after getting in, there's a lot of work you have to do to um, to, to basically remake the connection, the cord inside um, inside the power supply, and preserve this one fiddly, very annoying little piece. Um, and I guess it's probably hard to describe on radio. <laughs> yes, if you haven't seen one of those, just think about a wide little cone, I guess. Yeah, like a the, rubberized little cone-shaped yeah. thing <laughs> that the cable comes through. And you want to you want to preserve that because you actually want when you re reassemble, you want that to be there to actually secure the cable in place. Um, in any case, this had us thinking about a lot of things like yeah. why is it so difficult? I mean, the same um, thing happened to me years ago before we ever started running our events and uh, I went to a very highly recommended Mac repair shop and the guy just said no there's no way I'm not going to be able to repair this mm -hmm. he did have a go but then he wasn't able to put it back together yeah and so so basically if you want to do it right uh, it is a very difficult repair um, it's not even as probably as easy as it looks on iFixit um, what we did learn though is that you can actually buy I didn't know this one of our volunteers said you can buy the whole cable plus the really fiddly little part uh -huh. um, you can buy that on eBay. As a spare um, part. Although apparently they're different for each adapter and you have to be quite uh, choosy about that. Um, but anyway, so we did finally hack it back together. It's a bit of a Frankenstein affair. Um, it has some Sugru, to actually, to make sure that Sugru is a fixable putty. That's what was invented by um, a really amazing company based in East London. And that is going to basically cure and fix overnight and really hold in that cable. Yes. Um, and then it has to be basically, I have some beautiful duct tape, some decorative duct tape that I've, <laughs> I've applied. But it does um, raise questions around why is it that it happens specifically with the chargers from Apple? Because We've seen many chargers of many laptops, and obviously the generic ones un can unbranded be can be dodgy, yeah. and we don't really recommend them. But actually, out of all major brands, we've only seen repetitively over and over again the white Apple chargers breaking. It's true. I mean, they're they're beautiful, but, uh, you know, and then for what if we're going to be so frustrated? So it is a question. I wonder if there's any data out there about all of this. Um, OK, um, just a reminder that you're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. And we're a different gadget show. Um, we're talking about the value of the stuff we already have and how we keep it for longer. Um, we're going to talk about some of the tech news from this week, and there's a couple of really interesting stories. Ugo, do you want to introduce yeah, us? Yeah, absolutely. Some? So all of you probably have heard something about the Volkswagen scandal, and we're not going to talk about that directly. Um, but 
it has spurred a lot more interest on similar issues in the electronic industry. And so recently Samsung has been accused of using the same techniques to make their LED uh, TV screens uh, more and looking more energy efficient than they actually yeah, to, are. To cheat the tests. In uh, a, in exactly. A very, that's why people were calling it Volkswagening, right? Because they were... The yes. accusation was they Volkswagen. were cheating. It's the new the Ubering, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's happened with that is that there's been an an investigation whereby um, the motion light uh, mode that's used by Samsung to reduce power consumption during scenes where very high pace movement, so as in sports, for example, is display on its television sets. Um, reduces the power consumption by almost half. And the allegations are that, guess what? That's exactly the kind of images that are used during the official tests for um, comparing power consumption uh, of these TV sets. And so it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, obviously, Samsung denied this allegation, saying that this is a system that they've introduced in 2011 to generally reduce power consumption whenever there is a scene with high speed of motion and that they want to improve it and continue to improve it. And it has nothing to do with um, cheating about energy consumption. It does seem all really kind of... Confusing. So, so basically, what what the it could be that they're both right in a sense that okay, the video is basically allowing um, Samsung to, to to come off looking better. That the video is not actually representing real world conditions, right? So, this is um, the testing is done by the International Electrotechnical Commission, which I learned, you know, after a trip to Wikipedia, is a very old um, international institution which sets standards, and n nations tend to use their standards implement. I guess there is one positive aspect when compared to the Volkswagen case, and it is that it's not funded 70% by the TV set manufacturers. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's something. But at the same time... Well, actually, I mean, I, I haven't I've gone in to look at who's paying the bills there at the International Electrical, Electrotechnical <laughs> Commission, but, but the maybe question not so directly. is clearly raising issues on um, transparency and credibility of brands. And this is becoming interesting because uh, parallelly uh, there's been another investigation done by a group in Sweden that actually doesn't mention any specific brand but inquires um, whether actually, there's been it, similar cheating. Yeah, the Swedish. So no, the but they're not government. mentioning. Um, mm -hmm. Samsung or other brands directly for well, now. And also just to say that Europe itself, like in, in what's called the um, eco design directives, they've very much focused on this issue of eco efficiency. Um, yes. So and it's a, we will we'll say it till we go blue in the face. But um, for many electronic products, um, energy efficiency during the use phase is not actually um, such a concern as energy use in man, in the manufacture phase. No. So so basically anything that's used for heating and cooling, um, some larger screens, some larger products. It is true that gains in energy efficiency in the use phase are significant. Um, but for almost any other battery-operated device or sm small device that doesn't do heating and cooling, we should be much more concerned with the energy that's being used in manufacture. And basically what, 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 what slightly annoys me about this scandal is that um, 
is that, yes, huge energy efficiency gains have been made with over the past couple of years in certain products. Great. And that's probably due to some of the intervention of the EU. Um, Absolutely. But, but I think that what, the, what it's in essentially hiding is this, this issue of, of energy and manufacture. And the same companies that are trumpeting their um, performance and their improvement and energy efficiency ratings in the use phase do not make information at all available to the consumer. In other words, what is the total life cycle energy use of this um, device, this appliance, this gadget? Also on the energy efficiency side of things, there's been something interesting happening. Obviously, if you look back 10 years, 15 years ago, the CRT television screen, so the ones that were super bulky and extremely heavy, used to use much more energy when operating. And obviously, the LED models now on the market are much more energy efficient per se. And the EU has pushed for getting off the market the plasma screens, which were a previous intermediate generation of flat mm. TVs that were extremely power hungry. But what has happened as a result is that we are now using bigger and bigger screens. So yeah. in other words, the gains in energy efficiency um, that we received from passing from a generation to the new technology. Yeah, it's like we're saying, yeah, well, we'll just make it bigger then. And 65 yeah. uh, I mean, inches is, and plus. And I, 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 I have to confess, I was staying in an Airbnb flat that had one of these mega big televisions. And it was kind of bizarre. I mean, I, I, I can see why people like it, but why They're it's nice. kind of considered standard also to have that in your house, I, I can't imagine. And actually, there's been uh, a study by a group called Cool Products, which is a coalition of NGOs um, that look at product efficiency mm -hmm. um, and the design of new more efficient products. Mm -hmm. And they claim that if you take all the energy consumption of the TVs that are used across Europe, actually that equals to the full aggregate energy consumption of Sweden and Portugal combined. Wow. In other words, 10% of the average energy bill of a household is actually used by TVs. Yeah, we should make a disclaimer that neither you and I, neither you nor I, actually own a television. Um, Haven't for years. Yeah. Yes. But um, so, but we're not exactly in a position to comment on basically how the average household works or you know, and what a, their needs are. But it, it's something that we should anyway keep in mind. But we did a bit of research on what are people saying, people that respond to these articles about this you issue. Mean you actually ventured into the comment threads. I did. I did, and. <laughs> There was, in a case, uh, an article that had at least a thousand comments. And actually, that means that people are interested yeah, in these topics. Like... I guess they're enraged after what happened with the car industry. But what appears obvious is that when people buy a TV screen, they cannot possibly care about the energy consumption. They care about the screen size and the picture quality. And they're not interested in saying, okay, well, if I change this setting and I'm going to save a bit of energy, but if the picture is not as bright, why did I buy a TV? One yeah. person commented, if I cared about the energy savings of TVs, I would have bought a book, which I thought <laughs> it was brilliant. So people yeah. don't care. So we need to have other ways to regulate yeah. this that yeah, make it sure. easier for people. Okay. Well, and that, I mean, I suppose this is a, a real parable on, you know, I guess, trust and, as you said, on transparency and people's relationship um, with an industry, but also with the brands. Um, so the other story we thought we would uh, talk discuss this week, which is kind of slightly the... Um, 
positive the, yeah, one. Yeah, the, the yin to the yang there is um, is is a story that it was a feature that ran in um, in BBC on the BBC website. I'm not sure if it uh, if it aired on television. Again, we don't uh, <laughs> we wouldn't know. Um, it's a feature about this German manufacturer called Miele. And um, they make mostly what what are called white goods appliances. Isn't that or right? also coffee makers, though. Okay, it's, so they make uh, some smaller ones. Yeah, and they work in what is now a market uh, only ripe for replacement. So it's saturated market in many respects. So people buy a white good, and then it's not like you're going to be able to reach new people that previously didn't need them, but people that yeah, decide to replace a product. Go. And so the title of the piece, which is maybe why people were clicking through, because it was wildly popular on online for us, uh, is can you charge double and still keep your customers coming back? And it's essentially the story of, of, a, of a brand that, um, well, that uh, yeah, made its made its its name by charging loads but having quality products. Is yes, that fair? well, it's a brand that's been active for I think three generations now, and uh, out of Germany, which is a key again. It seems like we're going back to Germany all the time <laughs> today, and uh, they pride themselves with keeping their products in operation for much longer than anyone else. And uh, the article also talked about how the CEO was on the phone uh, dealing with a customer that was upset about uh, a par spare part from a product from 36 years ago and <laughs> how that wasn't available in the color of his choice anymore as a piece of plastic. Well, and yeah. he was upset about that. And well, to be fair, actually, um, Germany is home to this big movement. Uh, it has the huge activist movement against planned obsolescence. So it's Which is a term that people always get extremely excited yeah, about, but, but, for better uh, or worse. In Germany, it's big thing. So basically, this brand has to deal with very exacting Germans who want to be able to use things for longer. Um, it was interesting, um, well, to note that this is a privately held company. It's a family-owned yes. company. It's a company that's been owned by the two families. One is called Miele, in fact, and the other is not in the name brand. But mm -hmm. uh, they're two families, and they've owned it from the beginning. One has 51%, the other 49%, and they have 65 family members that are the shareholders. I mean, we, we, you and I have wondered repeatedly whether... Whether you know some of the you know more quality brands and brands that are thinking um, in a more sustainable way are actually potentially the privately held, privately owned ones. I was thinking about that exactly, thinking about the correlations with Patagonia in the fashion mountaineering industry because it has exactly the same thing. It's not a company that's publicly traded on the mm -hmm. stock market anywhere, and that probably allows the management team to actually push forward a certain way of innovating that doesn't require a certain well, madness a for question. financials. It's a real question. Now, whether I guess whether they can innovate and kind of continue to exist um, is another question. And actually, one thing that did come to mind, um, we had a commenter on Facebook when, when, she, when she commented, I believe she's in Australia, she commented, um, we bought a vacuum from Miele because of the reputation. Um, the cord retractor broke, and the cord retractor in a vacuum is usually just like essentially it's a, I mean it's just a little mechanism, it's a basket made out of plastic usually. Um, and she said they charged her, I quoted her ninety nine euros plus shipping for that for that part. So she she said basically yes, the parts are available, but they're bloody expensive. That so, raises uh, questions around what yeah. are the business models of the future if you want to create products that are durable, but you as a company need also to survive. I we understand that, and we are very 
much supportive of companies that are trying different things. And let's not forget the Miele has higher costs also because most of the manufacturing is done in Germany itself yeah. and they don't um, take any components from other manufacturers. Okay, but so here is the point that I had to make, which is why does that plastic basket have to be made in Germany or why does it even have to be warehoused in Germany? So, you know, why couldn't a manufacturer, let's like hypothetical manufacturer like this, um, basically open up a product at a certain point and let people, for example, 3D print parts, um, make designs for certain elements of the, uh, especially the ones that could be. Like, why not offer them up to your customers and let them print them? Yes. At the same time, there's also other models that could emerge where people become either leasing a product so that it has to continue to work rather than being owned by you. And so in that case, you will pay on a yearly basis or maybe have a sort of subscription if you buy into the philosophy of a company and you have a sort of insurance Mm. that keeps sending you parts if you need them and so you're not charged for one at a really high price but still what the big question is why is it that they're charging that much for a simple plastic part is that because they're trying to increase the profitability of the spare parts sector as they might see a reduction in sales of the new products. That tension needs to be resolved. And I think the 3D printing uh, model that you mentioned actually could be an interesting one. And finally, bringing together the repair movement and the makers movement for there are opportunities gaining. there, but again, probably that's not for everyone, right? So the other um, the other thing that struck me in, in that piece about kind of brand Germany, has brand Germany been um, damaged by the Volkswagen scandal is um, brand Germany has been slightly damaged before the Volkswagen scandal. Over We've the seen, years. Um, I remember, you know, being shocked at a restart party learning that Blaupunkt, Blaupunkt is really no longer radius. a German brand. You know, that was a, a brand that we all, well, those of us who are a little a little bit older, we recognized for really good audio equipment, the car, car stereos. stereos. Yeah, I mean, um, I learned we learned when we saw a really crap, uh, you know, s- uh, small television brought into a party, a restart party. Um, we opened it up and, and it was so poorly engineered inside, and I was I was horrified. I went to the internet to try and find out what you know, and I and then I found out that Blaupunkt basically sold its brand to some nameless um, I don't even know I think Chinese manufacturer. But the point is, it's no longer a German brand. The same. I just went to look this afternoon. Uh, Grundig, the radio maker, same situation. It's now owned by um, a company. Uh, in another country, um, and that's not in Europe. So, I mean, brand Germany has like has a bit to answer for even before the Volkswagen scandal. And it's a shame because um, still we associate some of the best engineering and household products with, with German products. And, you know, if you take a Siemens and Bosch, that certainly still yeah. is the case. So it's not completely compromised. Yeah. But this idea that you can take any brand that has loyalty and following and it's known for certain characters and then sell it on to someone who will just use it to make nameless Mm -hmm. otherwise products. And I think we've seen something similar with Nokia and their current efforts to Nokia that has been sold for the most part to Microsoft. And then we have a tablet on the Chinese market that's labeled Nokia, but that doesn't have the same level of quality. 
Yeah, so we're going to have to leave it there. There's plenty more to talk about there, um, especially about regulation, Europe, the future of European manufacturing, but we'll have time to talk about that. Um, uh, well, it was great talking with you, Hugo. It's our first radio show together. We're gonna, there will be many more. Yeah, there will be many more. Um, we're going to close with some quick announcements. Um, we have... Um, uh, we'll be at TEDx Brixton in Brixton this weekend um, giving repairs advice. We might not be able to do some heavy-duty repairs there. Uh, there's also a restart party in Harrow for those of you who live out west. Uh, you can find information about those on the restartproject.org slash events. And at the end of the month, we'll be at a maker event um, called the Maker Assembly. Um, if you go to makerassembly.org, you'll find out more about that. Um, Maybe and one thing happening on Monday might yeah. want to mention. Yes, with. exactly. Uh, we'll be celebrating early um, Ada Lovelace Day. Um, so if you're a um, <laughs> if you're a woman repairer, tinkerer, or a hard, hardware person, um, definitely check that out on our website. We're basically um, promoting women electronic repair. Um, we'll be back here uh, next week at the same time at 1.30pm uh, Tuesday. Um, thanks very much. Thank you.